Welcome to episode 430 of Troubadours and Rakan Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with regular contributor, playwright, poet, professor, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. And we talk with Kitty about whether or not we're post-Trump and post-COVID and what does that mean? How we need to make good decisions and we only have a certain amount of time. Reading the news, Heather McGee's book, The Sum of Us, People Joining Forces, The Solitary Dividend, Loss Aversion, and uh, joy, voting rights, lust for life, among other things. A beautiful conversation with Kitty Bell Burbank this go-round. We have an EWSA titled Nuance, and we share a wonderful original play by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise, called Watch the Ice, performed by actor extraordinaire Dominic Azzarelli. And we have a poem titled White Tent. All of this, of course, is imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 430 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Nobody likes you, nobody cares Nobody wants you, nobody cares To extend a greeting, a connecting lands Life is just a jaded game to them They will give it a chance But you know when I know That the galaxies are all Because the ocean 
sails and Buddha bells, summer smells deep and hot like Calabria, just the other side of the Mediterranean Sea from where the African birds migrate in July and August for a cooler reprieve. It's so much a matter of perspective to be or not to be reflective. I see myself in you and you and me as we are all the same semblance of human. Om, Om, the sacred sound of connection, as well as the unit of measure for resistance. Is this a deep nuance of existence or just a compelling coincidence? I don't know, therefore I am as alive as once was the King of Siam or the Empress of Japan. How we wake up each day with some sort of a plan that propels us. We had a fun time at the Firehouse Carnival last night, eating pizza, french fries, pierogies, ice cream, and cotton candy. The children rode the rides, a school bus in circles, and the tornado up and down, spinning around. The site was at the base of a hillside farm. There was a beer tent and a live rock and roll band with a touch of country playing tunes with hometown charm. A smell of manure in the air and in the mud below are sandals and shoes. It has been raining as of late. The yard and deck plants are thriving. In the sky, a sliver of moon resonates calm and sedate.
I woke up feeling great The birds are in the trees They're singing me a melody La 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 for the police My head is on straight My heart is in peace My soul is incredibly Ready to change his story It's a Kitty Bell Burbank, is that you? It is. It's it's a version of me. Of <laughs> <laughs> a, a version of you. We'll have to get into that. It's the me that I am right now. You're such a Buddhist. Moment. You're such a Buddhist. I am I, actually. I know. I know. I love it. <laughs> I've been studying. I've got the Diamond Sutra right over here. Excellent. That's uh, one of the reasons I think you're. Uh, such a great contributor to Troubadours and Rock On Tours. It's wonderful to have you on every several months. I'm just glad we months. don't do the camera thing. Yeah. I, I just got out of the shower. There's no way I would have been ready. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I, I don't want you to see me right now either. I look a little wor- you know, uh, worn out today. Uh, yeah. But it's you know uplifting already to, to hear your voice and, and uh, to, look, to uh, talk with you today. I, I, I love it. It's... Um, 
it's always fascinating to to hear where you are and uh, <laughs> I, I want to share with folks a little bit about you I mean you're, you're many things but among those things you're a playwright a poet mm-hmm. a professor a baker and a candlestick maker and uh, again our regular contributor here last time we spoke I think it was February and a lot has okay. occurred since then yeah a lot and, uh, you know, you shared something with me, as we always do uh, before we talk. We try to figure out what we're going to get into generally. And I, I hope you didn't have to wake up to that. <laughs> I, no, no, actually, I read it just before I went to bed last oh, night. Oh, even worse. No, it was nice. It was nice. Let me, let me, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Sure, uh, I think it sets the tone. I asked Kitty Bell, you know, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? And, and uh, she said this. It's such a weird time to be living through, isn't it? Are we even post-COVID? Are we post-Trump? I don't even know. My Something came up. My phone blocked it there. I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of that. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Laugh out loud. There's still so much uncertainty. How well are we dealing with all of this? Or is it just me? It's so hard to concentrate. Maybe it's the empty nest or midlife crisis coming on. It's going to be time to make decisions soon. And there's not as much time left to make bad ones. Trying to get out in the world and do things with other people again. Going to Shakespeare Fest alone. I read an article today about body shaming children in theater, and it really bothered me. Identity is so fluid. Burnout is real. I love it. That's a poem. Thank you. (laughs) So let's go. Let's go from there. A lot of stuff. I'm glad that you understand. I think I do. Yeah. So are we post-COVID? Are we post-Trump? What the heck's going on? I don't know. I think that we we would love to be. <laughs> At least a lot of us would love to be. But it, it's, um, you know, we just can't be sure. You know? I mean, at least we don't have to hear about Trump every day anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about that's part of healing. Like he's not constantly being mentioned on the news or um, he's not getting the attention. I'm sure he's still doing ridiculous things and saying awful things, but we just don't have to hear it. Um, so that's great. But he's, you know, he's got those kids like... <laughs> Don Jr., at least, is not going away. No. You know, so it's like we can't let our guard down. There's this difficulty. Like, we want to relax. We want to be happy. We want to go to the ball. I don't know, whatever you want to do. And it's different now. (laughs) I I heard people say, like Mark Maron had said, oh, it's just like... You know, like it was before, you get back into talking to people at a dinner party and it's like nothing ever happened. And I've had those moments where I'm like, yeah, it's like nothing ever happened. But for the most part, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like everything is going to be different forever in in I don't know what kind of way yet, I guess. That's maybe what we need the artists to help us with. What, why, what makes you think everything is, is different now? I, I don't know. I mean, at least for me, there's a certain level of awareness that is always there that I can't shake, which I don't think I want to. I'm not saying I do. I mean, that's sort of the Buddhist ideal, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, no, no expectations. Is that what you're talking about? And that's part of it. Sure. I mean, literally anything could happen all the time. <laughs> and I guess it was always that way, but now it's harder to forget. I think. Well, maybe it's post-traumatic, you know, stress in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of the not being able to let your guard down thing, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and and I think the journalists kind of have their um, their fingers on the pulse of that. It's like they're not, they're still reporting on COVID a little bit. Like they're not, they're letting us know that they're paying attention. So that helps. That means I don't have to like turn on the news every day and see like I could just listen to the BBC in the morning and um, <clears throat> or NPR and uh, they'll let me know what's happening, which is, you know, if I need to know. <laughs> right. And that's a big thing. You know, I mean, you mentioned journalists and I think journalists are very, very important in a, in a society. If, if a society is going to understand what's going on and, and uh, what what to do. Uh, but sometimes too, there is media uh, that uh, there's an aspect of media where they they need ratings, so they keep stoking flames and fires and focusing on things in a way that maybe they shouldn't be focused on. I guess I, I mean that does exist. That Do you I, listen to that media though, or, or pay attention to that? Uh, no, I try not to. I try to read. Yeah. I try to read a lot of my news instead of watching it, you sure. know, or listen. I like listening to radio news as well. Uh, but the TV, not so much. I, I think that is more entertainment, uh, I find, than yeah. – and the commercials bother me as well. You know, I Yeah, mean, I got rid of regular cable, so I don't really have access to that news anymore. They have the – like um, Comcast will give you like the Peacock version of whatever it is. I don't know. It's not even Peacock. It's like – it's not the the regular news. It's like some kind of tier B news. It's like watching a B movie version of the news right you have like news news day or newsies yeah, yeah i don't yeah i don't streams. know who they are yeah, but yeah. i'm just like this isn't it's not worth it so i don't watch i don't watch anything on the like really at all as long as you're not I watching only, newsmax right yeah yeah no i only listen to the radio that's it it's hey pretty much come down to that we're radio people that's obvious right oh yeah sure right yeah yeah I'm, when I don't want to get out of bed, I put the radio on so it feels like I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> but I really don't have to get up yet. You know, I'm just like, oh, I'm getting educated right now. Yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold you. Radio does not uh, have the same commitment involved as TV. You know, mm -hmm. radio, you could walk around, you could be doing other things while listening, where TV kind of just sucks you in. You kind of, you know, you're sitting there and you're just watching it, you know. I, I think it, it, t it takes takes more out of you television i do it demands more of you i think yeah well you have to see everything too yeah it's it, I, I prefer radio for sure but going back to the covid thing you know you, you you bring up a good point i think a lot of us here at least where we live in the northeast uh um we we are looking at it as it's it's done in in many regards and mm -hmm. and people that I don't know if you find this that are still wearing masks in yeah. public. You're like, well, you know, why are you wearing a mask? Uh, yeah. Am I supposed to be wearing a mask, or are, <laughs> are you sick, or am I gonna, you know, am I am I doing the wrong thing? It's a it's a weird dance in a way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't mind people wearing masks. I think if, I think that ooh, I think if that makes them more comfortable, it doesn't affect me any. You know, does, uh, does it make you self conscious? No, no. I mean, I, I did the thing. I got vaccinated. I was told by the CDC I don't have to wear a mask, so I, there I don't see what to be self conscious about. You're right. You're right. That's what you should rely on, those facts, science. Um, and, and then you wonder about, I do, about people that aren't wearing masks who just don't believe in the whole thing. You know, they look at Fauci as a no good, misinformer, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's a political statement and all of that stuff. And that yeah. connects back to what you were saying before about, you know, is it really post-Trump? There are a lot of folks out there who believe he's the president. Yeah, well, and they lived in their own universe before, and we all sort of had to go there. Um, But now, like, I don't have to go there anymore, (laughs) but they're still there. They're they're still listening to Tucker Carlson. Why would you listen to that guy? I don't know, but every once in a while, like, I see his face, like, somewhere, and I choose not to read about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but other people, like, that's probably a highlight of their day. And that scares me because, I mean, part of me, like, I'm glad I don't need to know what he's saying. But uh, it's being said and it's shaping worldview. And we can't lose sight of that because, um, you know, they could steal the election next time. <laughs> exactly. They're working toward that. The Republicans are. You know, across the country, they're they're working to rig uh, voting, basically. And then what? Yeah, any progress that we might make right now is just oh, yeah. I mean, in a way, it got so bad. Um, I was just excited to see that uh, Heather McGee is speaking at a uh, learning conference. That Heather, Heather McGee. Yes, she wrote the Sum of Us. S U M. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have to say I'm ignorant of it. Can you give me a little oh, background? Yeah, you should definitely read it. It's about how um, racism costs everybody and uh, what we should do about it. But she's an economist. And, you know, she she's famous for using the drained pool metaphor. When, I do uh, know her. I heard her on Fresh Air. I just didn't know okay. her name. Yes, she was fantastic. Yes. How, how certain groups down south in particular, they would close their public pools because they didn't want to let blacks in. And, yeah, they, and when they, de- they deprived their own community, the white communities they saw it, uh-huh. to, you know, just so they wouldn't have to intermingle with the black communities. That Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so everything that they've done to, you know, separate us, keep us segregated from each other um, so that, you know, poor people couldn't join forces. <laughs> um, and they, I mean, obviously still done that. That's exactly what, you know, Trump was all about to separate these poor white people from poor people of color. Um, and it's, and bad things happen <laughs> when that happens and it happens to poor white people too. They just don't even know it. Um, they'll find something else to blame. So yeah, it's just really scary to, to think that, if they have the opportunity to do more damage to society, it's like how much greater can income inequality become really like, can it get worse than this? Um, I don't know. We can't let that happen. 
And when you say they, you're talking about the Republican Party, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the people who want cheap labor um, so that they can continue to get richer and, um, you know, will then demonize the people for their own problems, even though it's not their fault. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, I... We we're talking about Buddhism. I was just reading this morning a little bit of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. I like I like uh, some of his uh, books, um, and he, you know he talks about the importance of the sangha, you know the yeah. com- the community, and he he uh, reflects on a meeting he had with Dr. King back in the '60s, and uh, how Dr. King and he connected through that idea of how you cannot do anything really on a grand scale unless you have a strong community of brothers and sisters working together for their common interest, their, the common good of humanity. And, mm-hmm. w- you know, exactly what you said is, is you know, what the Republicans or those people, wh- whomever they are, who want to keep us divided are, are trying to do. They know that if we work together, we're stronger, and we could then uh, sort of thwart their efforts to deprive us of having a, a, a healthy, happy life. Oh, sure. I mean, they've deliberately prevented unions from forming using racial uh, animosity as a weapon, you know, and, and, and Heather McGee is really good at um, describing the economics of it, the subprime loan crisis, like stuff that's way over my head. <laughs> I like, I got how it worked, you know, listening to her talk about it. I think she's extremely important. Um. So, yeah, I was excited to see that she's uh, coming here in August for that conference that I probably can't afford to go to. But <laughs> at least some people will hear her, so that's good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I know they have her book at the library, so that's good, too. Heather McGee, The mm-hmm. Sum of Things? Or Some of the Us. Some of Us. The Sum yeah. of Us. Yes, The Sum of yeah. Us. She talks about the solidarity dividend, so... Um, if we could all come together to make policy changes that um, help lift poor people of color, society as a whole will benefit. It's not that if if one group gets lifted, another group has to pay for that, <laughs> right? So that's the mentality she's talking about, the zero sum that you know, progress of these people depends on the loss and sacrifice of these people. It's right. not how it works. No, no, it doesn't have That's to be. That's a myth. Yeah. It's a very it's a very limited, narrow, small way of looking at life. Yes. And, I, you know, I don't understand it either. I mean, I have it in me. I was raised that way. We all have it in us. I think that is the norm, normative mentality that... Uh, you experience at a young age in our society here in the West, at least for sure, um, and and it's hard to shake it off because it's all around you. There are winners and there are losers, zero sum, as you said, and and you better be a winner and do whatever it takes to be a winner. And you want to be with the winners, not the losers. And you don't look at people's you know common interests. You don't look at soul uh, and uh, the soul in anyone, the spirit in anyone. It, that stuff is is silliness. Yeah, it's a real cultural deficiency, I think, that um, hopefully, you know, I, I, I hope the future has it in it that we will change <laughs> as a society to uh, be more concerned with each other. 
You know, yeah, last night I was up. One of the reasons I'm so tired today is I I, I was up late last night. I, I went on a Star Trek Next Generation binge. I found it, you know, somewhere. And, uh -huh. I, and I was watching an episode where they went back in time to the 18th century, uh, or the 19th century, excuse me, the 1800s. And, and uh, Mark Twain was there. And and he was so cynical about humanity. Uh -huh. uh, and then he, he hooked up with, you know, Captain Picard and, and then his crew, and he went back he snuck himself into their into this into the future with them because uh, they were they were time traveling uh and he saw how advanced humanity was and how they became forgiving and they got beyond this sort of zero-sum mentality on earth and he was taken aback he couldn't believe it that that mm -hmm. he, he thought it would never be so good and that's the 24th century where where you know the setting is for the the uh the uh, Enterprise with Captain Picard. So maybe, maybe that's, I know it's fiction, but, you know, maybe we're Mark, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe we're like Mark Twain with our mentality that, you know, this is, this is, how are we ever going to get there to that better mindset? Yeah, that's one of the things I think I liked about reading Heather Mickey is that she worked for think tanks. Her job was to come up with solutions. Um, design, she designs and promotes solutions to inequality in America. And that's great. So, she has a, a certain critique, but it's more just this is the information you need to know. And she actually talks about how do we get there? You know, how do we how can we do this? And she's so smart. You know, it wouldn't hurt to listen. No, no. And and, you know, uh, it is about you, you can't just criticize, I think. I mean, you could, but it's, it's helpful to also have some insight to share. You know, yeah, these are real problems. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I do believe we can solve them. If all you do is like, a, again, back to that nincompoop with the privileged smirk on his face, Carlson, he never <laughs> has solutions. You know, he, he just criticizes and is smug. And, and I, again, I don't know why people would want to listen to that or, or you know, number 45. I'm not going to say his name. Why would people want to listen to those folks? It, it's, such, it's so cynical and it's so ugly. Their take. Uh, and not believe someone who seems kind, who seems patient, who has solutions. No, that can't be real. That can't be true. I rather, yeah, I, I, I guess it's a, it's a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or or faith in something else. Um, not to keep going on about Heather McGee, but one of the other things she talks about is how uh, as there's a study where the group that's like second to the bottom was the only one when given money to make a donation, didn't give it to the people underneath them. They gave it to the people above them because they were afraid if they give it to the people underneath them, that they would be the people on the bottom. Ah, of course. Self-preservation. So, yeah. So what they hear is when they hear these insults, and these, you know, we're better than these people kinds of rhetoric that helps them feel like they're not going to come in last. Like we were just talking about. I think it's, it's you know, loss aversion, huge motivating factor. And then, and then yeah, that sense of superiority is really important. Got to feel better than somebody. Right? right, right. Yeah. Well, being true to what I was just discussing... 
you and I right now are, are criticizing, analyzing the, the lay of the land, so to speak, in society. Uh, how do we get beyond this? How do we get to the 24th century of the fictional next generation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I just, I think a lot of it is policy. You know, if we were talking about these institutions, this kind of systemic racism, we have to change the systems. We have to change the policies that, disproportionately punish disadvantaged people. So I guess that's a lot of education and um, voting. <laughs> you know, not letting them take those voting rights away, which I think a lot of people are working on right now, which is wonderful. Um, I hope we don't lose consciousness of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, hopefully we won't. But I, I think something did shift for sure. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't go back. <laughs> That's kind of that uncertainty that, you know, you're just afraid to stop paying attention for a second. Well, you know, again, going back to what we were talking about Buddhism and, you know, that living in, in, that, in that mindful way um, is, is, is a practice every day, every moment, mm -hmm. right? So anything that you, you're trying to achieve, you're striving for, it's, it's constant. And, and, and it's, it's, it's got to become your way of life. Uh, yeah. It's not just a one-off of, uh, you know, event or, or effort. Right. So all the more reason that, like, we need to find ways to have joy still. I mean, what, what can we do? And, and to come together in groups. Like, I think that's absolutely important. We need to mix with people in our community of different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, we, we can't let them keep us separated. Yeah, I agree. Cause, because we'll see how, how, how much in common we have. And, and, most people, I mean, there are some despicable, terrible, troubled, damaged people out there that could be a danger. But most mm -hmm. people are not that. Most people right. are good people, I, I venture to say. Yeah, the meditation I was doing this morning, the, the guy was like, you know, most people are, are just trying to do the best they can and find some level of happiness. Right. Uh, and it, it's really that simple, <laughs> you know. We don't need to complicate it. No, no. It, you know, uh, it, it, overcomplicating it is actually a means by which to distract us from from seeing how how to actually live well. You know, mm -hmm. and that that is part of whether it be conscious or unconscious. I think that is part of the the approach for those who do indeed have power to keep to keep us from from realizing yeah yeah so assuming that you know we're entering a, a you know at least a lull in the covid if not post-covid time that i hope people will come together at at community functions with strangers um whenever they can find them happening whether it be like an outdoor music concert or you know the shakespeare festival um go someplace you know out where other people are that you don't know 
you know, hang out for a while. Right, right. And, and, and of course, you'll open carry, right? Because that's your thing. <laughs> Just to be yeah. safe. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I can't picture you with a, like a holster around your waist and a, and a gun. I, I just can't picture that. Though you'd look pretty cool, I'm sure, you, you know. I think another Alicia could handle that. It's just <laughs> not the one that I am right now. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure, Kitty Bell Burbank, to talk with you. So, you know, we're we're getting Wild on the Wild West Alicia. Wild West Alicia, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know that there is an allure to that sort of uh, uh, fashion uh, approach, I'm sure, but it's just fashion. You wouldn't actually, you know, be that sort of shooter. Uh, you know, we're picking it up and using it. I can't see us shooting a gun. Maybe. Maybe as an accessory. You know? I don't know. I mean, if I lived on the ranch and uh, dangerous animal started attacking my cat, I might. <laughs> yeah. Good point. But, yeah. yeah. Good point. We're, we're, that's not the world we live in. So. Thankfully. So, yeah, no. Now, what what are you going to be doing over the summer? Any any plans? We have a couple minutes left. I want to, you know, hear what you're what you're uh, what you're hoping for. Summer. I have a lot of books to read. Um, I'm teaching a writing workshop this fall that I'm pretty excited about. And of course, I want it to be amazing. So um, I'm really going to have fun working on that. But yeah, I just got done with the summer course. So I haven't even really been off that long. <laughs> um, I am um, today I'm going to the Macaulay Center to tie dye t-shirts for our trip to Knobles with the families. That'll be fun. That's a family fun park in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania for those of you from outside the area. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep going to the Shakespeare Festival shows. I think that's important. Um, they make it pretty hard not to go, you know, Just pay what you want. <laughs> yeah, and the level of uh, theatrical uh, acumen is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And... um yeah, I mean, I didn't. Eat, I just like this last show. I just went by myself. It was fine, you know. If I can watch TV by myself, I think I can watch a play alone. You know, just go. Don't don't worry about making it a big deal out of it. You know, just pick up your chair and go to the iron furnaces. Yeah, and um, just about every community has some sort of nearby theater that they can go we're to. We're so lucky some, yeah. to have it, really. Yeah. Um, that's, that's long been one of my favorite things. I love outdoor theater in the summer. Um, and I, I missed it last year. I don't know what happened. COVID. Yeah, definitely. COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm going to just try not to, um, I'm going to try to get my balance on, you know, um, working three jobs during the school year is a bit much. And, um, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a little burnt out, so um, I'm gonna do what I can to restore my um, my joy, my creativity, uh, my lust for life before the end of August, <laughs> so that um, you know I can continue to try to make a difference in the world. Well said. Always a pleasure talking with the Kitty Bell. You too. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out and about over the summer. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to, you know, figuring out what else is going on and um, seeing what I can do. Should be a few things. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Yeah. Enjoy yourself. You too. I will. I will. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
diarrhea. You want to hear about diarrhea? I'll tell you about diarrhea. First, let me tell you about my buddy, Nabi O'Malley. Well, not really my buddy. More of an acquaintance. A close acquaintance. We'd hang out at the bar together, and he'd tell me his troubles, and I'd listen and listen and listen. Nobby was a talker. He'd go on and on and on. Job, boss, money, women. Job, women, money, women. You get the idea. Not once did he ask about my troubles. But that's the way he was. Endless woes, loads of grievances, and he'd spell out every one for you in detail. I'd sit next to him at the bar until some other buddy or acquaintance came in, and then I'd hotfoot it to the pool table and let the new buddy take over and have his ear bent by Nobby's endless tales of job, boss, money, women, etc. Nobby had a large nose, which is why he was called Nobby. It was like Jimmy Durante's. Remember Jimmy Durante? Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. Ha cha 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 cha. No? Well, Jimmy had a big nose, like Nobby's. It was his, you know, trademark, so to speak. And Nobby's nose was red from drinking. A boozer schnoz. You know, like W.C. Fields. Remember him? Ah, my little chickadee. No? Well, Nobby had a big red nose. Sometimes he was as sad about his nose as he was about the rest of his life. Oh, he'd say, my nose, my big red nose. Why don't you ease off on the four roses, Nobby, I'd suggest. He'd glare at me, then curse me, then start laughing, then start coughing and wheezing and hacking. And He was a smoker, too. Paul Malls. Other times he was proud of his nose, even vain about it. I'd catch him staring at his reflection in the mirror at the back of the bar. He'd grin and wink and laugh and start coughing and wheezing and hacking. One night, gazing at his nose in the mirror, Nobby began to whistle through his nose. At first, it was just a few random notes, like a plumber might do while under your sink. Well, a happy plumber. I've known some happy plumbers and some miserable plumbers. Angry plumbers don't whistle. To tell you the truth, I didn't think much of it. So Nobby whistled through his nose. Good for him, I guess. The next night, Nobby comes into the bar, sits down next to me, and whistles, You are my sunshine. Well, I was flabbergasted. The song is one of my favorites. My mother used to sing it to me when I was little. And when Nobby finished, I was torn between laughter and tears. He smiled at me with his huge false teeth. He got the choppers a long time ago with dough from a sketchy lawsuit settlement. That's another story. Nobby became a star. In the beginning, the regulars would humor him, crowd around his stool, and he'd whistle a few tunes and get a couple free drinks. Then people from the neighborhood would stop by. They heard about Nobby at the local wiener joint, the gas station, the grocery store, the beauty shop, or another bar. For miles around, folks would come to watch Nobby whistle through his nose.
Nobby only knew a few songs by heart, and no one wanted to hear You Are My Sunshine over and over. So he had to build a repertoire. Early in the morning and late at night, Nobby would teach himself new songs. I'd help him introduce them. Nobby, I'd say, do you know Blue Moon? And he'd pretend to think for a bit and then launch into a blue moon that would break your heart. Well, it was great for a while, and Nobby was in his glory. He could barely keep up with the free drinks. But the novelty wore off. The newcomers stopped coming. The regulars wanted to listen to the jukebox or watch a game and not be distracted by Nobby's musical nose. Nobby developed a passion for learning new songs, and he was bitterly disappointed that his musical stylings didn't attract the ladies the way he had hoped. Sadly, the sight of a red-nosed Nobby tooting unchained melody failed to make women swoon with amorous rapture. Nobby stopped whistling the night after a long and quite impressive Gershwin medley was received indifferently by the barflies. He went back to complaining. Oh, the diarrhea. Yeah, that's another story. Yeah, I gotta go. Watch the ice. Sparrowly
white tent. She looks like her mother when she was that age. Same physical demeanor and gait. Happy with her ginger boyfriend and blonde female compatriot. Petting a python while gazing at a chameleon. Walking on the arm of a mermaid. Sitting in a canvas chair under a white tent in Dalton. Episode 430 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Kitty Bell Burbank, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise, 
actor extraordinaire Dominic Azzarelli, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Chicano Batman, Shongudzu, Iggy Pop, Esther Rose, Bahamas, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.